Welcome back to the Community Online Podcast. This week, we're joined by teaching pastor Jason Ishmael as we conclude the series, Hope for Everyone. If you're new, we'd love to learn your name. Simply text CONNECT to 630-793-6399 and we'll send you more information about community. Remember, you can always find us on Sundays streaming live at communityonline.tv. We hope to see you there. talk fast food right out of the gate here. If you can guess it, what do you think the largest, by the number of franchises, the largest fast food franchises in the country? Go ahead and put your guesses in the chat. And while you're doing that, even do your top five, uh, what do you think has the most? Now, uh, as I think about this, I got my list here. We actually did some research on this. Uh, We didn't go around and count them, but you can find this stuff on the internet. Check this out. The fifth largest fast food franchise in the country is Taco Bell, with just over 7,000 locations in the U.S. Now, this is a big deal for me personally, because when I think about this, 2020, it's been a rough year. But if you go back to November, and maybe you missed this, but the toasted cheddar chalupa came back in November. And to me, I look at Taco Bell, I got to tip my hat to them. I think they turned this entire year around. Hats off to Taco Bell. How about number four? Uh, Dunkin'. This is, uh, this is a massive franchise. Over 9,000 locations across the U.S. I guess they don't even call it donuts anymore. You got to get coffee or whatever. Third largest. Now, this is surprising to me. Uh, when I think about this, I would think they were higher up the list. McDonald's, the granddaddy of them all, nearly 14,000 locations across the U.S. How about this? The second largest franchise in the country is Starbucks. 14,825 locations across the U.S. I mean, they are literally everywhere. But the top one, number one, absolutely crushes everybody else when it comes to the number of locations. It's Subway. 24,798 locations. I mean, like when you say something is everywhere, literally Subway is everywhere. I'm just wondering, like, how do they pick their spots? I mean, I gotta, I'm wondering if they're going to be in my cul-de-sac at some point. I got a, a little girl who starts a lemonade stand and Subway looks at it like, yeah, I think that'd be a pretty good location for a Subway. Before you know it, I'm going to have one on my sidewalk. I mean, everywhere. But when I think about these places, all of these places are really distribution centers, I mean, distribution centers of fat and salt and sugar and caffeine. Uh, I like to call them distribution centers of deliciousness. Uh, Maybe you feel differently than that than I do. Uh, But these places are distributing all the time, all over the place. But there is a place, if you want to call it a franchise, that far outpaces all of these. And it isn't even close. Uh, Maybe you'd guess this, but of this franchise, it's 333,000 churches in the U.S., I mean, that's mind-blowing to me to think about how many distribution centers, if we want to call a church a distribution center, that we have in the U.S., 333,000. These are distribution centers, not just of anything, but distribution centers of hope. But if I'm being honest with you, I think somewhere along the way, uh, we have tended to, to lose our focus, to, uh, to be distracted from what we've actually been called. I mean, imagine, imagine what Starbucks would do with 333,000 locations. I mean, they would be absolutely all over us. But when I think about the way that churches have, in many ways, kind of lost sight of their purpose, uh, many ways have lost sight of the scope of their mission. We've been talking about this lately uh, in this space that, uh, uh, that we're, we're, we're serving a Jesus who is hope for everyone. 
hope in every circumstance, hope in every situation. And if that's true, you would think that the church would have enough hope for everyone. In fact, I think sometimes we look at it a lot differently than that. I think sometimes we look at hope as like, okay, we get it, hope for everyone uh, while supplies last maybe, as if Jesus isn't enough or as if it's only hope for a few or only hope for a certain kind of people or hope for people who aren't too terribly messed up when Jesus the whole time is saying he is hope for everyone and is enough for everyone. Rob Bell, he said this about it. If the gospel isn't good news for everybody, then it isn't good news for anybody. Honestly, I don't think this is what God ever intended for us, to be a people who had a a small scope and a small mindset for who God could reach and how many people he could reach. When we say hope for everyone, we literally mean everyone. I go back to the Old Testament, even to the promise uh, that God made all the way back in Genesis 12, almost at the very beginning of the Bible, and you get an idea of the scope of promise that God wants to give. He says this to Abram, the Lord has said to Abram, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. Check this out. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Did you hear that? All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Uh, How many peoples? All peoples. What peoples? All peoples. Now say it with me. You can scream it at your computer screen if you want. How many peoples? All peoples. What peoples? All peoples. The scope of this is literally everyone. His intent and his desire is hope for everyone. But if you go back to the Old Testament, if you look at the stories and the way that that uh, that promise unfolded with this people, at some point along the way, they begin to grip it a little more tightly rather than understanding that it was not just to them, but through them, that that hope was coming through them. They began to get stingy with the blessing and with the hope of God as if hope was just for a few, as if hope was just for them and not for everyone. This is one of the reasons that I love to go to uh, the birth story of Jesus. And there's a couple of things that I wanna bring you that might surprise you about the story. Now, when I look at the nativity, typically I'm focused on the manger. I'm like, it's all about the barn and the animals and the hay and all these sorts of things. But I wanna pull a couple of things out to you that maybe you don't notice all the time when you look at the birth story of Christ. And one of these things is in Matthew chapter two. Check this out. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked. Now, a lot of times we would just read right by this, like it's no big deal. Now, but I want you to see it. Magi from the east, who are these guys? I mean, we know these are the the three wise men. These are the dudes that bring the presents. You know what I'm saying? Like, I would say probably... Most of what I know about them actually comes from the song. I mean, sing it if you know it. Uh, we three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. I'm, I'm really sorry that I did that. Um, is, it, is that going to stay in? Is, that, is it staying in the video? You can't take it out? Well, you had to hear that. <laughs> Maybe you know the song. You know, the guys that bring the presents. But there's so much truth here. If we would dig into these guys for just a moment to understand who they are, and why they are in this story. There's a scholar named R.T. France, and he says this about the Magi. Magi in Persia played an important role in advising the king, but but were more widely known as learned men who specialized in astrology and in the interpretation of dreams, and in some cases, the magical arts. Magi were found all over the Roman world, but were specifically associated with Babylonia. 
And that is the most likely meaning of the term the East when written in the point of view of Palestine. And this should surprise any first or second century reader uh, that would be looking at this would definitely throw up some red flags at this point. Uh, When we talk about magi from the East, especially from the East, these are exactly the types of people uh, that that a Jew would want to avoid, astrology and magical arts. France has a little bit more to say about it and why these guys were included. It's remarkable to find Matthew introducing magi into his story without any sign of disapproval. Matthew may well have included this story to bring out the truth that Jesus is Lord of all peoples. There it is again, you hear it? How many peoples? All peoples. What peoples? All peoples. This is the scope, but think about it. If you are a Jew reading this story, if you're a Jew hearing about this and they go magi from the East, I mean, think about it. Uh, These guys are associated with Babylon. This is an empire that actually held Israel in captivity at some point. Uh, There's no love lost between these guys. This is not like the kind of people that Israel seeks out. I mean, when you hear people say stuff like, like those people, this is exactly the type of people that Israel would distance itself from. And here we see Matthew bringing them front and center in the story of Jesus. It's totally astonishing to me that he would bring these guys up and give them this kind of feature. Now, uh, he doesn't stop there, though. If we go over to Luke's account of this story, there's a similar thing that happens. Read this with me. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Do you hear it again? How many people? All peoples. What people? All peoples. Again, this is hope for everyone. Why do shepherds show up in this story? There's a guy named Leon Morris who gives us some more detail about this. I want to read this to you. As a class, shepherds had a bad reputation. The nature of their calling kept them from observing the ceremonial law, which meant so much to the religious people. They were considered unreliable and were not allowed to give testimony in the law courts because they came from a, listen to this, they came from a despised class. I mean, this blows my mind to think about uh, the story of, of God coming to this planet to the promise that was made to Abraham and all of the generations that followed him. And the singular purpose of all of those things was for Jesus to come. Now, it was so easy, though, for them to, to hoard this, to, to, to hold it so tightly as if hope was for them and not for anybody else. But both Matthew and Luke make a point to show us magi from the east and a despised class of shepherds, a group of people that nobody cares about. I mean, why would they go to such lengths to make sure that these guys made it into the story? I can't help but think and remind us again that it is because God is bringing hope for everyone, hope for everyone, not just for a few people, not just for the people that we think can make it, not just for the people that are like us. Literally, in every circumstance, in every situation, there is no one too far gone. There is no circumstance that God can't reach into. He is bringing hope for everyone, and that's the truth. Now, here's the problem, though. I tend to, to look at this sometimes as if it were uh, not something that is, is through me. I think it's something to me. 
You know, I, I tend to look at the church as some place where I get this instead of some place where I'm sent to give this. You know, it, it got me thinking about this. Uh, can you imagine if we actually understood the magnitude of the mission of God for us? I mean, how many people do you just walk by all the time and think that it's not even possible for God to reach them, that, that we have nothing to do with that? I mean, I think about people in my own family, people I'm close to, and I think, man, I don't know if that would ever happen. You know, and somehow I become the roadblock. And when I ought to be a river of blessing to them, somehow I've stopped the flow of that and become this pond that hoards it for myself. I mean, can you imagine what would happen if our church across this country and across this world actually understood what we could do and who we are? That this wasn't something that was meant to be to us, but it was through us, that we were distributors of hope, that our churches, distribution centers of hope. There's a story I want to tell you about a young man who I think kind of, kind of clicked with this. Many of you know Eric Medcalf, a longtime community guy, uh, attends our Downers Grove location. Uh, and years ago, he had a conversation with his son, Joey, and, uh, and he wrote it like this. I just want to read it to you. One day, my son, Joey, uh, he was 10 at the time, asked me what the difference was between religions. After I got done faking like I was sick, uh, I went to the bathroom to collect my thoughts and, and pray for wisdom. I came back to my son, waiting expectantly on the couch. After a quick recap of religious history, I don't know how he did that, by the way, uh, he said, okay, dad, thank you. A lot of my friends are Jewish, so I was curious what made their faith different. But dad, it doesn't really matter if they're Christian, does it? I mean, they will get a chance after they die to say yes to Jesus, right? I think like I was sick again, Okay, I really didn't, but I I did respond. Joey, it does matter. We are given the chance while we are alive on this earth to make a decision about following Jesus. Joey got a very serious look in his face. But dad, that doesn't give them much of a chance, does it? To which I clearly felt the Holy Spirit prompting me to say, yes, it does, Joey. You are their chance. Joey got the most innocent, honest look I have ever seen him get. He began to cry a little, smiled a little, and he said, that's the most awesome thing I have ever heard. This is incredible. You know, can you imagine if we got this? I've been thinking about uh, church a lot lately. I think there's you know, nothing like a crisis to bring this out of you. Uh, you realize 333,000 church locations. I mean, do you realize that we are not limited to 333,000? As many as that is, we are not limited to 333,000 distribution centers of hope. We've been talking so much about this. Uh, as I was a kid growing up in church, uh, you know, it was crazy. We, we would always hear these, uh, these platitudes about going beyond the walls of the church. You know, you'd say stuff like, well, the church isn't just the building. You know, the church is more than the building. The church is the people. Wherever we are, the church is, those sorts of things. Uh, you know, it's ironic. Nine months ago, um, I mean, that actually happened. You know, to not get to be at the building. I mean, literally what we're experiencing right now uh, is a part of that. And uh, as many times as I heard and in, in even spoke it out and preached it out myself, the church is more than the building. The church is the people. Like this whole time in nine months, I've been looking at this going like, man, we can't do anything without the building. We're so limited because we don't have the building. I mean, can you imagine if we could just get this? 
If this could sink down deep inside of us and understand that the church is not a place that we go to get something, but it is a place that we are sent from to give something. I mean, if that starts to click with us, do you realize we're not talking about 333,000 distribution centers of hope? We are talking about literally millions of people who go out with the hope of Jesus, knowing full well that there is hope for everyone, that Jesus is enough for everyone. In every circumstance, in every situation, there is no one that he cannot reach. That if every one of us went out, You see, then there's not 333,000 distribution centers. There's millions. That wherever there is a Christ follower, there is a distribution center. Wherever you and I walk, we get to carry hope to people. Now, I think it begs the question, if every single one of us actually is a distributor of hope, who do you know that needs this hope? Who do you know right now that of all the things that they could get right now, of all the things they could receive from you, that you would be a person who is the distributor of hope? I want you to think about that person. Can you put their name in your head? Can you picture them in your head right now? You are their chance. It's you. You are the one that God has picked to carry hope to them. And I think it's ironic that the last message that we had before we went into online mode, the last one, we talked about how uh, church wasn't just, uh, ministry wasn't just for the professionals, that we're all the priesthood, we're all the professionals, that every single one of us has a responsibility to be on mission and to do this work that God has given us to do. I really do think in this season that God is trying to teach this to the church. See, what was true nine months ago is still true today, that every single one of us has a responsibility on this mission. And I pray that you would be a distributor of hope like never before in your life. As we look ahead to 2021, we've got a series coming up called Awaken. Uh, and I've been hearing Dave talk about it as one of the most important series that we've ever had, one that we've got to get right, one that we have got to dial into because what we're hoping to do is awaken every single one of us to the mission that Jesus has for us, to the gifting and responsibility that each and every one of us is living in. And it makes sense because there's people that you have access to uh, that, that nobody that's, a, that's on staff at community or is leading a small group or a volunteering, they're, they're people that you might reach that I would never meet. You are the one being sent. You are their chance. And so we're taking this seriously. Starting in, uh, in January, we're actually gonna have 21 days of prayer and fasting to go along with this, uh, with this Awakened series. And we're literally going, okay, God, we're gonna empty stuff out of our lives and we're asking you to move into the spaces that we empty out so that God, in these places, you can have your way, that you could move so powerfully in and through us. I think it's pretty cool for a church that says helping people find their way back to God practically every other breath. It's what we talk about all the time for our leadership in this moment to say in 2021, we're gonna be more about the mission than we've ever been. And what that means is every single one of us understanding and knowing that we have a part in distributing hope for everyone. It's the truth. See, I'm praying that we get this, that you and I reach out to the people that we know need this hope because there is hope for everyone. How many peoples? All peoples. What peoples? All 
peoples. There is hope for everyone. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for the promise of of your son, Jesus. I thank you, God, that there has always been enough. There has been enough love. There has been enough power. There has been enough grace in every situation for Jesus to actually come through on his promise. To say to Abraham all the way back in the day that he would bless all nations. Father, we thank you that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise that Jesus is bringing hope and love and blessing to everyone. Father, I pray that we would be a part of carrying that hope forward. Lord, I pray that you would, you would put these people in our minds that you know we need to reach out to. And Father, I pray that we would have the courage that it takes to step out and be awakened to our responsibility, to be awakened as a distributor of hope. So Father, we praise you for your son. We praise you for his promises. We pray this in his name, amen.